turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. On Wednesday nights, we're going through the Bible, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, and we're in the book of Revelation, so. Let's pray together. As we pray, let's just come with a heart of expectation that God's going to speak to us this evening. Father, thank you so much for your goodness in our lives, your faithfulness and your love. Thank you for your plan, your promise that Jesus is going to return and rule and reign. We just ask that you would bless the study of the book of Revelation, and there's so much confusion and controversy. We just pray for clarity. We pray that we would fall more in love with you, Jesus, that we would see the importance of the urgency of our lives and looking for your soon return. So would you send your Holy Spirit and would you bless our time in your word in Jesus' name, amen. The book of Revelation is one of the most controversial and it's one of the most neglected books in the Bible, which I think is really unfortunate because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ As we're going to read tonight, it comes with the promise that all are blessed who hear and keep the words of this prophecy. I like to refer to it as the double blessing. Every time we read the word of God, we're blessed, amen? Any section of scripture. But then with the book of Revelation, God says, you're doubly blessed. It's my word, and I'm promised that you'll be blessed if you hear this prophecy and you keep it. It would make sense that Satan would want to keep us away from the book of Revelation. Though there are some difficult things to understand and we look at yet future events with humility, there's so much clarity in the book of Revelation. There's so much in the book of Revelation that a young child, a third grader, a fourth grader can read and understand that Christ is returning, that Christ is ruling and reigning. The end of of all of Scripture where we have heaven revealed to us. That's not difficult to to understand. So I hope as we go through this that some of the confusion uh, is clarified and that you fall more in love with Jesus Christ. So let's get a little bit of background in this book is who wrote the book of Revelation? We know it's John the disciple. He's who God used to write this book. We know that John was a fisherman at the Sea of Galilee. Jesus called him to be a disciple And he left all to to follow Jesus. His brother as well following Christ and his good friend Peter following Christ. He was known, him and his brother, as the sons of thunder. They must have had quite a temper to get the name sons of thunder. In the ministry of Christ, they go to Jesus and say, why don't you just call down fire from heaven and roast these guys? It's time for judgment. You ever feel that way? God, can we just get to the judgment part of this? But the more that he walked with the Lord, he became known as the disciple or the apostle of love. And we find that in First and Second and Third John that we just recently studied, this theme of God is love, and to love God and to, to love one another. We'll find at this particular point in his life, he's, he's older, he's coming to the end of his life, and he's been exiled to the island of Patmos for the word of God. Because of his love for Christ, he's been persecuted and sent to the island of Patmos. So 
John is the author that God used. When was Revelation written? Most scholars believe 95 AD to 96 AD is the the time frame that the book of Revelation was probably written. Where the book was written is from the island of Patmos as he's exiled. And then who was receiving the book of Revelation? Who were the original readers of of this uh, prophecy? Seven churches. The seven churches in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. So how is the book of Revelation divided? And this is going to be really important. We're going to reference this throughout our study of of the uh, book of Revelation. Look with me in verse 19 of chapter 1. God gives us an outline for this book. So this is verse 19 of Revelation 1. It says, Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. So there's three divisions. Jesus is speaking and saying, John, I want you to write down first the things that you have seen. And that's chapter one, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. And then chapters two and three are the things which are, and that's the people of God. So chapter one, the person of Christ. Chapter two and three, the people of God. And then it says, write the things which will take place after this. And that's the the rest of the book of Revelation from chapter 4 to chapter 22. And this is the program of Christ. This is the church being caught up in heaven, the tribulation. Christ returns with his church, the, the millennium, a new heaven, and a new earth. So three sections. The first section, write the things you've seen, the person of Jesus Christ. Write the things that are. Chapters 2 and 3, the church, the people of God, and the things that will be thereafter, chapters 4 through 22. If you missed that, we're going to refer to that through, through many studies, and maybe you didn't get all the detail of it, underline verse 19. Because if you get verse 19, you get the three divisions for the book of Revelation. You guys ready to start? All right, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's important in looking at this book, it's not revelations, plural, it's revelation, singular, because it's the revelation of of Jesus Christ. The word revelation means to disclose of truth or unveiling, manifestation. As I was in Uganda for these last two weeks, I had greater revelation of the Ugandan culture. Every time I go, I learn more about Ugandans and the way that they think and the way they operate and things about Uganda. My eyes are, are being opened. For those of you that are married, you know that you're continually going through this process of manifesto with your spouse. There's new things being revealed uh, about your spouse. And you're like, wow, we've been married for 15 years and I didn't know this about you. I didn't know this about your, your, your personality. And John here has walked with the Lord for many years, physically walked with Christ as his disciple, but yet now he's finding greater revelation of Jesus Christ. Church, this is what it's all about. This is the Christian life, is us understanding more about who Jesus is. I hope tonight that you come with a hunger as we study this chapter to go, I'm going to learn more about Jesus Christ. As as we go through this book to say, God, I want to learn more about your son, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It goes on in verse 1, 
which God gave to him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. So God gives the revelation of Jesus Christ to his servants, and he's also revealing the things that will shortly take place. The word shortly, it means that the events are gonna take place very quickly, very, very rapidly. That's what it's talking about in in the Greek language. So it's not necessarily saying that that this is gonna happen right around the corner, but once it does start happening, it's gonna happen very quickly. The events in the book of Revelation, once they begin, it's gonna happen fast. It's gonna happen with great rapidity. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. Jesus gives the message to the angel, and the angel gives the message to John. Speaking of John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ and to all things he saw. John is giving witness to three things. The first is what? The word of God. Seeing this is the word of God. And hopefully in our lives, we can do the same. Testify of the word of God. What is God speaking to you through the word? Then he bears witness of the testimony of Jesus Christ. What is the message of Christ? What is the testimony of Christ? Why did Christ come? He came to reveal the Father. And so as we think about what's what's the testimony of Christ, it's to give understanding of, of the Father. We can share the testimony of Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus Christ. It was said of John the Baptist that he did no miracles, but everything that he spoke of Jesus was true. I don't know if God's gonna work any miracles through my life, but I know I can speak of Jesus. And everything I can speak of Jesus is true, the testimony of Jesus Christ. We live in a culture and a time where it's so important for us to be speaking about Christ. People don't know Jesus. They don't know who he is. They don't know his love. Speak of Christ. And then to all the things that he saw, what are you seeing in your life? What is, what is God doing in your life? Later on in Revelation, we're going to see that we overcome Satan by the word of our testimony, the blood of the Lamb, and not loving our lives under the point of death. Satan is defeated through testimony. Satan is defeated through bearing witness. Bear witness of the word of God. Bear witness of Jesus. Bear witness of the things that, that you're experiencing. What I love about sharing is it causes those truths to come alive in my own heart. Do you ever find that to be true? Like you experience it and then you share it and it's a whole nother level of learning. Verse three, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keeps those things which are written in it for the time is near. Seven times in the book of Revelation, we'll find the word blessed. Blessed and then boom, God will give us direction. Seven beatitudes, if you would, inside of the book of Revelation. And the first is, if you read this, if you hear it and you read it and you keep this, you're going to be blessed. There's, there's a blessing that's going to come on your life as you read the, the book of Revelation. Can I encourage you guys to sit down and to read the book of Revelation in one sitting? It may take an hour or two hours, maybe two and a half, maybe even read it out loud. The early church, as they were receiving this letter, it was being read to them. 
If you enjoy audio Bible, just sit and listen to it being read to you. But think about this as one revelation that was being given. A lot of times we get caught up so much in the minute detail, we forget the the, the whole message of this revelation. But you're going to be blessed as you, you read it. As we begin this study, you know, commit to be here. Say, man, I want to be here on Wednesday nights to study the book of Revelation because I want this blessing that comes to those who, who hear this and to those who keep it. An important truth in verse 3, God says that the book of Revelation is the word of this prophecy. Part of the controversy with the book of Revelation is some look at this through a preterist view. And that is, that symbolizes the struggle of the church against Rome. So it's saying there was so much persecution, John couldn't come out and speak plainly or clearly. So all of this is not future, but it's past, and it's this struggle with the church in Rome. Another view is a spiritual view of the book of Revelation, that it's a spiritual allegory without direct application to actual events. So this isn't speaking of actual events that are going to take place, but it's a, it's a spiritual allegory. There is another view that is a futuristic view. It's a straightforward account of what is to come. And God clears this up for us, doesn't he? He says this is, this is prophecy. This does speak of future events. You're going to run into a lot of people that are going to tell you, oh, this is an allegory. The book of Revelation is, is an allegory. It's poetic language, and it's kind of fun to study, but it really doesn't have anything to do with future events, and God here tells us that it's prophecy. In verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. And we'll see the seven churches that are listed and they're in Asia Minor, which is in modern-day Turkey. Which is fascinating to me if you think about how spiritually dark Turkey is today and how there's such a need for churches in Asia Minor today. And these are, these are written to, to churches in Asia Minor, and there's a need for God to move in this area of the world. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. These two great truths that are linked together, grace and peace. God's favor, unearned, undeserved, and merited favor, and peace, and they come from Jesus. And Jesus is described as who was and who is to come. We'll find that over and over in chapter one about Jesus, that, that he was, but he's also the one who is to come. He's past, present, and future in my life. Christ is and was and is to come. We think of past generations. Christ is, Christ was, and is to come. Continuing in verse 4, and from the seven spirits are who are before his throne. So described at the throne of God are seven spirits. Now we know there's one Holy Spirit, so don't get confused. One Holy Spirit that is a member of the Trinity. So who are these seven spirits? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know who these seven spirits are. And there's a lot that's been written by this and a lot that's been speculated. But when you get to heaven, you'll find out, right? And the scripture says there's seven spirits who are before his throne. But don't be confused. It's not the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ 
but faithful witness. And Christ is described here. Firstborn from the dead, ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. A great description of Christ. First, the faithful witness. Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. To where when we look at Jesus, we see the Father, the express image of the Father. He was a faithful testimony of the Father. He's also the firstborn of the dead. What does this mean? Jesus wasn't the first person to rise from the dead. Lazarus rose from the dead. But yet Jesus was the first to rise from the dead and never die again. So he's the first fruits and we follow in the footsteps of, of the resurrection of Christ. This is so important in this view of Jesus in the book of Revelation is he's the ruler over the kings of the earth. The world is really heating up right now, isn't it? We look at Russia is on the move. North Korea is on the move. Syria is on the move and has become this proxy war for the other nations. And Iran is on the news on the news and on the move. I just recently discovered that North Korea and Syria have been allies all the way back to the 1960s. I didn't understand that North Korea, Syria, Iran, and Russia are all linked together. These guys are allies of of one another. They're in cahoots with with one another. What's all this leading to? Your guess is as good as mine. But you can see the tensions that are really building and they're, and they're really mounting. To our own political landscape in the United States, isn't it? It's like, you know, the big question is, is who's going to be running in this, this next election? Is it going to be Oprah Winfrey against Donald Trump? Like, man, whoo, that sounds like a good one, doesn't it? Sounds... And it's really important for us to know that Jesus reigns over the kings of the earth. And ultimately, all of these things are leading up to Christ returning, literally, to the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, where he's going to rule and reign. And that's what the Bible's leading up to. Without the book of Revelation and the promise of the second coming of Jesus Christ, you don't have the crescendo. You don't have the victory. You don't have Christ coming and ruling and reigning. Any good story is going to have an ultimate end. You know, if you're watching a movie and then the movie never really ends, that's so aggravating. You're like, I wasted two hours of my life and you're not going to give me an ending, right? And think about reading the scripture without the book of Revelation, without the the promise of of Christ's return. He, He rules over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He loved us, and he he washed us with with his own blood. I was reminded on this trip in Uganda of of God's love for me. Um, Part of the the trip, we had the opportunity to go to uh, one of the waterfalls on the Nile River, and I had been at that waterfall back in 2007, 11 years ago, and so you're on this boat on the Nile River, and you, you come up to this beautiful waterfall, and we paused, and played some worship music, and God really brought me back in that moment to, to when I was 14, and God got a hold of my life, and what, what God used to get a hold of my life was this message of his love, 
of saying, Eric, I, I love you when you wanted nothing to do with me. And as we were listening to worship music, I just, I felt the love of God again, of, of, of the Lord saying, you know what, Eric, I love you in spite of you. And I know a lot of times you feel your shortcomings and your failures, but, but I love you. I, I love you apart from what you do. And as I, I was in that moment of worship, the, the, the tears started to come, you know. And I want to remind you, and I hope that the Holy Spirit confirms to your heart, in this message about Jesus, the greatest thing about Christ is that he loves us personally. Yes, he is the ruler. Yes, he's going to return in his power and in his justice, but he loves you. And he's proven his love to you that he washed you with his own blood. To die for our sins and our shortcomings and our failure in the past and what we're struggling with now and in the future. And what an amazing Savior. What an amazing God that he would love us this way. In just a few moments, we're going to read of the majesty of Christ. And you don't want to limit your perspective of Jesus in any way. The awe, the power, the wonder, the majesty, and his personal love for us. So know that you're loved. If you're not sure if you've been washed with the blood of Jesus, how does that happen? Is everybody washed with the blood of Jesus? The Bible tells us it's those that receive Christ through faith. By putting your faith in Jesus, that he died for you and rose again, that's when we're washed and that's when we're cleansed. But if we don't put our faith in Christ, we're not washed, we're not cleansed, we're, we're not the, the, the child of God. It's through faith that we receive this cleansing work of Christ. So if you have trusted Christ, how loved are you? You're very loved. How clean are you? You're extremely clean. You've been washed by the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In verse six, and he's made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amazing that God would make us kings and priests. In the Old Testament, there was always a balance of power where you have kings and you have priests, but the kings weren't priests. They were always to be separated. But here in the new covenant, we're kings and we're priests, giving responsibility from the Lord, but then having the opportunity to come to him and worship. And so God is the one who receives the glory and the dominion forever. God is glorified by the grace that he's shown us in our lives. Verse seven's worth underlining, meditating on. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. When they who pierced him and all of the tribes of the, of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. Christ is coming. This is a promise. He's going to return, and we're going to see him and behold him as the one who's been pierced. Christ, as he receives his resurrected body, he still bore the wounds of the cross. Doubting Thomas was able to put his hands into the, the wounds of Christ. And what's going to mark Jesus as he returns is that he's pierced. And those who pierced him will mourn. Zechariah prophesies that the nation of Israel will re realize that Jesus is the Messiah. They'll ask, where did you get those wounds? And Christ will respond, in the house of my friends. And that's when collectively the nation of Israel is going to go, Jesus, you, you are the Messiah. But no doubt, 
Christ is coming. No doubt Christ is returning. In verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The Alpha and the Omega, the, the Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. The omega is the last. Jesus is saying, I'm the first and the last, and I'm everything in between. I am goes back to Moses. As he's in the wilderness, the burning bush is on fire, but not being consumed. God speaks to Moses, says you're going to go back to Egypt and confront Pharaoh. Moses asks the question, what does he ask? Who do I say sent me? And God responds, I am that I am. The statement of I am is a statement of deity. In the Gospel of John, same author, John records the I am statements of Jesus. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. So John continues with this theme here of of Jesus saying, I'm the alpha and I'm the omega. So the first coming of Christ, it's focused on Jesus as a suffering servant. The second coming of Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, the the conquering king. Again, this emphasis, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. I love the humble heart in John. John doesn't say, here's all my ministry experience. He says, I'm your brother and I'm your companion in tribulation. We're linked in tribulation. Church, we're linked in trials, aren't we? We all go through trials. We're linked in the kingdom and we're linked in the patience of Jesus Christ. We're looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. Was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He's exiled to this island because of, of, of the word of God. It's a small island in the Mediterranean. And in this island, in this place of isolation, is where he receives greater revelation of Jesus. And that's many times what happens in our lives, is God will take us to a very isolated place. It seems as though he's putting us there. Maybe it's a time in our lives where There's not a lot of friends, and relationally we're isolated. Maybe in the workplace we're we're isolated. Maybe something will happen to our physical health where, where we're isolated. And if we're willing, and sometimes we're not, but if we're willing, in that isolation is the opportunity to have Christ revealed to us in a greater way. One of the greatest times but most difficult times of my life is when we moved from southern Oregon to Salt Lake City, Utah. It was a huge change for me. I grew up in a small town of 16,000 where you know everybody and all these, these types of things in a great church, a really real thriving church of, of thousands of people, even though it was a small town. Because of my dad's job, we had to move to Salt Lake City. Never saw that one coming. Not a lot of believers in Salt Lake City going to a really small church. Lots of Mormonism, not knowing anybody. It was isolating. And that's when God revealed himself to me even in a greater way. So if you find yourself in isolation, look for the revelation of Jesus Christ. Most of the time, it is temporary. It's not permanent. It's not for the rest of your life. It's for a season where God says, 
you know, things aren't going to work out from your perspective. You're going to be isolated and look for the revelation of Jesus because here he is on this island of Patmos and he receives this revelation of Christ. Verse 10, I was on the spirit, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. We will study these churches in great detail in chapters two and three. But record what God shows you. Record it, write it down. John's encouraged to write down what the Lord is is showing him. And he's also encouraged on who to share it with. Many times when we're in trial, when we're in difficulty, we fail to see that God may be giving us a message of encouragement to somebody else. That may be exactly what the Lord's doing. Hey, you're going to be in this island. You're going to be on Patmos. But you're going to have Twitter and Facebook. (laughs) And you can be able to share a message. You can get the message out. I'm giving you encouragement for someone else. I love verse 12. It says, then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. John gives his attention to the one who's speaking. And sometimes in our relationships, someone's speaking to us, but we don't turn to listen. We don't get our faces away from our phones. They're speaking, but my attention is upon my my screen. But then there's other times where we turn and we look. We look them in the eyes. We, we realize this is important. You're speaking. I, I'm giving you my attention. And God is speaking to John. And John turns to the voice that he heard. He, he gives attention to God speaking to him. Run with it when God's speaking. When you sense that God is speaking to you, he's speaking to you through, through the word, press into that. Say, Lord, what, what are you saying? The Lord's speaking to your heart through prayer or through another believer. Give attention to that. Be a good listener and say, okay, okay God, you, you have my attention. I'm not going to just move through my day. I want to hear what you, you've got to say. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. We'll see in a few more verses that the lampstands represent the seven churches. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. So where is Jesus in the midst of the seven golden lampstands? The the lampstands are the church. Jesus is in the midst of the church. Where two or three are gathered, he is gathered with us. Jesus never leaves us or forsakes us, but he loves to manifest himself through the body of Christ, through the church. Why is it so important to never give up on fellowship, to never give up on the church, to never pack your bags and say, I'm not going to be involved in the church because Jesus is in the midst of the church. Jesus is committed to the church. And so that's a really good reason for me to be committed to the church. Amen? And we're going to find that these seven churches are all jacked up. Like they are messed up. And you'd think, man, Jesus wouldn't be hanging out with these seven churches. But Jesus is not fickle with his commitment to the church. He says, I'm, I'm here in the midst of the seven 
golden lampstands. Church, we need one another. And it may be this particular local church, or it could be another local church that God is calling you to, but don't get to the place where you settle for saying, I'm not going to church. I know it's really easy to allow a a live stream to become your church or a podcast to become your church. And we utilize those things to try to reach people with God's message, but it's a sorry substitute for coming to church. Hopefully that's a bridge that brings you into fellowship, but not something that removes you from, from, from the body of Christ. There's something about being together, literally, with actual FaceTime, real FaceTime, to sing together, to pray together, to study God's word together, to fellowship together. And we're told as we see the day approaching to not forsake the fellowship together with one another. You're going to be tested on this. I'm going to be tested on this. Believers are going to hurt you. They're going to let you down. And your tendency is going to say, you know, I, I don't need to go to church anymore. And remember this verse, Jesus is in the midst of the seven churches. You're going to encounter Jesus. I'm going to encounter Jesus in a unique way as we gather together with believers. I'm going to share my heart with you. I hope that that's here at Rocky Mountain Calvary because I like you and I like you being here and I enjoy being your pastor. But you know what? If it's somewhere else, praise the Lord because it's way more important to be connected somewhere than not to be connected anywhere at all. So if you're getting fed here and you're feeling loved here and you know that this is your home church, man, praise the Lord. But if you're not sure and you're like, man, I'm just hanging on for some of the wrong reasons, I go find another church. There's, there's a lot of really healthy churches here in Colorado Springs, but don't take two years to do so, right? You don't have two years of your life to wander around without a church fellowship. Go, go find one quickly and say, I'm going to plant there because it's so important for us to be in fellowship, because if we're not in fellowship, we're going to miss out on Christ, because he's in the midst of the the seven lampstands. We get this description of Christ, and the first is he's got this garment, this clothed with a garment down to his feet, and he's girded about the chest with a gold band. This speaks of Jesus as the high priest, and that we are robed in Christ's righteousness. In verse 14, his head and his hair were white like wool and white as snow. So this revelation of Jesus Christ, do you picture Jesus this way with white hair? No way. Like we never picture Jesus that way. Well, he's aged a little bit from his earthly ministry. (laughs) Why would Jesus be depicted this way? He's eternal. He he doesn't age. I, I hope you know this. Because it speaks of his wisdom. In the word of God, White hair speaks of wisdom. So if you're getting white hair, it's your glory, right? (laughs) And why white as snow? What's the illustration white of snow? Purity. And what a great picture of Christ. Absolute purity and absolute wisdom. If you need wisdom tonight in your life, go to Jesus. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Piercing and comforting. Christ sees right through the masks that we put on, the games that we play. He looks at us and he sees right to our soul and it's piercing, but it's also comforting because in these eyes of fire, 
is his love. Verse 15, I hope this sticks with you. His feet were like fine brass as refined in a furnace. His feet are depicted as fine brass because he's gone through the furnace. Jesus walks with us through every fiery trial of life. That's what's being depicted here. Remember in the Old Testament with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting thrown into the fiery furnace? There was a fourth was like unto the Son of God. This is a declaration of Christ's character that he walks with us through the fiery trials of life. I know you're going through difficulty. I'm going through difficulty. May we slow down, calm down, and begin to look for Christ. He's there. He's with us. His feet are like fine brass. And his voice is the sound of many waters. Ultimate authority. The sound of crashing waves is powerful, but it's also calming and it's consistent. And his voice is as the sound of many waters. Hopefully we hear the voice of Christ above all of the voices of this world. He had in his right hand seven stars. We'll see in a few more verses that the seven stars point to seven angels. And these angels are in his right hand. Also, we'll look at how these stars may be pointing to the pastors of of the church. Out of his mouth was a sharp two-edged sword. This clearly speaks of the word. That the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. When Jesus speaks, it has a way of piercing us. It's powerful. His countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. So the radiance of of Christ. In heaven, there's no sun. There's no physical sun because Jesus' countenance lights up heaven for all of eternity. I'm sure that you guys have thought about this before, but the physical reality in creation speaks to the spiritual reality of Christ being light. In creation, there was darkness, and then God created light. In John chapter 1, John uses that to point us to Jesus being the light of the world that comes into the darkness of our lives. In heaven, there's no darkness. It's the absence of darkness. And that physical representation of light and dark points to Jesus, that he's the light of the world and he lights up our darkness. Doesn't this get you excited to see Jesus? You know? To see his countenance and and to have his countenance radiate? John is overwhelmed, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying. So he's at this place where he's completely wiped out. And then Jesus reaches his hand down in this vision, and he touches John, and he speaks to him and says, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am who lives and was dead, and behold, am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of Hades and of death. What would this felt like for John? When Jesus touches him, you don't need to be afraid. I'm your savior. I'm the one who died for you. I'm the first, the last. Listen to this description of the gospel. He who lives, Christ coming in human flesh, was dead, was crucified, and behold, I live forevermore the resurrection. And Jesus has the keys of hell and death. He's defeated hell and he's defeated death. 
In verse 19, we have the division of the book of Revelation, right? The things which you have seen. Chapter one, the person of Christ. The things which are, chapters two and three. And the things which will take place after this, chapters four through 22. God gives us interpretation in verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. So each church has an angel assigned to it. This word angel, it means messenger, and it could be speaking of the pastors, or it could be a literal angel that was given to each church. But both are encouraging to know that the pastor is in Christ's hand or also the angel that's assigned to the church is in Christ's hand. That'd be pretty cool if God assigned an angel to us, you know? Maybe like kick butt angel for Rocky Mountain Calvary. You know, that'd be... What if we could look into this spiritual realm and, and God's assigned an angel right here to Rocky Mountain Calvary and then God tells us that the churches are the seven lampstands. The lampstand to light, to bring light into the darkness. As Jesus is the light, we become the light of the world. Church, we've got a job to do right here on, in Colorado Springs. We're on mission to share the love of Jesus Christ. As we come in and meet together in the word and in fellowship and prayer, hopefully we're getting equipped to take the message out to a lost and dying world. These seven communities needed these seven lampstands. This expression of, of God's love. What kind of light are we being to, Rock, to Colorado Springs? How is God using Rocky Mountain and Colorado Springs? How are we being used in this neighborhood? How, how would this community look spiritually if RMC or other churches weren't here? I was talking to John Kirby, one of our missionaries that's been sent out to Hamtramck in, in, in Detroit, and he shared with me something that was really encouraging. And what's taking place is there's a lot of church buildings that no longer have churches. And there's a church in Detroit that has started to send out pastors from their pastoral team and buying up these old church buildings and seeing churches relaunch. And they're teaching through the same section of scripture and this, this church now has got like 13 or 14 campuses, but each campus has their own pastor. And John said it was so encouraging because in each one of these neighborhoods, it was in a place that desperately needed churches and where these buildings were closed up the church has come to life and is reaching out with with the, the love of Jesus and that's really what we've seen out in Ellicott with the Ellicott campus it's an RMC campus but Rich is their pastor and he's there teaching and the Lord's reaching people we've seen people come to know Christ as their savior and people that were very spiritually hungry and I think with absolute certainty we could say Ellicott was a place that really needs a lampstand. And God was glorified to provide a, a lampstand that was there. And then John sent me an email while I was in Uganda, and he said, my saddest moment in Detroit, uh, he went to a funeral of a friend of his, uh, who's, a, who's a Muslim man that he's reaching out to, and the place of the service was in a mosque that used to be a church. It was a church building, 
that closed up, the lampstand was removed, and the Muslims bought it, and now it's a mosque in, in Detroit. And John didn't know that I was going through Revelation, but he wrote and he said, it seems like the church needs to heed the seven warnings that are in Revelation 2 and 3. And what we're going to study next week is if the church isn't right with Christ, God will remove the lampstand. You know, God will remove the lampstand. So for our lives personally and us together, God wants us to shine. He wants us to be in love with Jesus and to be sharing the love of Jesus. The community's dark. There's a darkness that's taking place. And what a great opportunity for us to be able to to share the light. So an application first is, are you isolated? Are you going through a season where you're isolated? Look for the revelation of Jesus. Look for Jesus to reveal himself in a greater way. Are you feeling like giving up on church? Are you like, you know, I'm just going to throw in my, my chips and listen to my favorite live stream, my favorite podcast, put in my favorite worship music. Me and Charles Spurgeon, morning and evening, you know. But I'm not going to be committed to a body of Christ. I'm not going to serve a body of Christ. I'm not going to give financially to the work of the kingdom because I've been hurt too bad or disappointed too much or the church isn't what they're supposed to be. Jesus is committed to the church. He's in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He's here tonight. He's faithful to gather every time that we gather. Don't give up on the church because you're going to miss out on the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, how do we view Christ? How do you view Jesus? And it's important to view Jesus as a suffering servant. Him being born in Bethlehem, living as a carpenter, being mocked, being crucified, suffering upon the cross. Don't ever diminish that. But the story doesn't stop there. He rose from the dead. He's like, boo, I conquered death, (laughs) right? The disciples are in the room scared and freaked out and Jesus just comes through the walls. It's like, peace be unto you. Christ is ascended, seated next to his father in absolute victory and he's gonna return. Sometimes I think we miss seeing Jesus as the conquering king. We see him as the suffering servant, but we don't see him as the conquering king. Has Revelation chapter one reminded you or opened up your view of who Jesus is? To understand his power, to understand his majesty, to understand him being the ultimate authority. We need to see him as a suffering servant, but also as a conquering king. Let's stand together and let's pray. Jesus, we, we are overwhelmed. You, you love us and you've washed us in your blood. God, we're thankful that you've made us your lampstand whether we realize it or not. And God, we want to be a light. We pray that you would allow us to share Christ, to speak the gospel, to point people to you, Jesus. May we be contagiously in love with you, Jesus. Where there's pain and where there's isolation, God, would you reveal yourself to us afresh? Would you be so kind to give us greater revelation in in Jesus? 
And help us to see you, Jesus, as the suffering servant and also as the coming conquering king. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.